so for our consideration this morning, we are going to look at John uh, chapter 5, and uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit from last week, so there's a little overlap from verses uh, 16, and we're going to move forward through verse 47 this morning. It is a lot of text, and I do realize that, as I said last week, uh, there's a lot of ground to cover. And this morning, it's no less. Uh, there's lots of ground to cover. What we will do is uh, we will pray, and then we will read the text, and then we'll make some uh, applications and observations along the way. So uh, let us first pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you because you, Lord, are indivisible, inseparable from the Son and the Spirit. We approach your word this morning as a message of love concerning your Son that you sent to us in love for us. We ask, Lord, for grace to live as uh, this life that demonstrates that we love what you love, a life that declares we love whom you love, a life that demonstrates that we are indeed united to Jesus Christ, both in word and in deed. We ask this morning for the illuminating Holy Spirit to reveal the Son, Jesus Christ, to the praise of the Father. We ask this this morning in His name. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 16. I know, as you remember, I, la I ended last week in verse 18. But as we are going through this, we are moving forward, seeing the growing opposition to Jesus. And then we, we want to back up because in here we begin to see the Jesus answer to the accusation that he is a lawbreaker, that uh, he is a blasphemer. That's, that's their accusation. So we're going to back up and then move forward. So uh, verse 16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, 
and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you did not, do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope, is the one who accuses you. Excuse me. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is God's holy, infallible word for us this morning. So, I, you know, there's this thing that every week it kind of happens. As I am preparing to deliver the message and I, I'm working this out, I keep thinking oh, every week there's this point at which I'm like, this is the most important message I could ever preach, right? And uh, this morning I stand here saying, this is the most important message I could ever preach. And I'm sure next week it'll, that feeling will come. But it's really, really uh, strong this morning. And I was thinking this on my way in. This is so important. I think we need to hear this. So as we begin, I, I want to give us a little stat that, that might surprise you. See, roughly 150 million Americans would describe themselves as Christian. 150 million Americans would describe themselves as Christian. If this be true, then that would mean that Yamhill County, with a population of 1,700,000, of those, 765,000 of them would describe themselves as Christian. This would mean that of the 34,000 residents in McMinnville, roughly then 15,300 would self-identify as Christian. This would mean that of the 510 residents in Gaston, 230 of them would say that they affirm that they are affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. So as residents of these communities, do you think about those numbers and you want to say what I want to say? Prove it. Where is the evidence? Bring forth your witnesses. State your case. Give a defense for such a claim. For the purpose of our time this morning, I'm going to give us a simple definition for what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means that by the power of God, you have been eternally united to Jesus Christ. This union with Jesus Christ is ever increasing to the degree that which belongs to His nature starts to belong to your nature, that His character starts to belong to your character. Who Jesus loves, you love. What Jesus commands you to do, what Jesus teaches you, you do and you teach. 
See, Jesus is your mission. Jesus' passion for God's glory is your passion. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. Well, this morning I would say this. Court is in session. God, the Son, is the judge. But I'm going to read to you the charge. You, church, stand accused. I'm calling you out. You stand accused by your own confession. You stand accused because you say, I am a Christian. I am in Christ. And so this morning, for the purposes of our message, you are on trial. You are on trial. You have professed that you are a Christian. I'm asked this morning for you to give your best defense. Give me your best defense. Do you have compelling evidence? What is your opening argument going to be? Who will you call as character witnesses? Can you call your fellow church members and your elders and they would verify the accusation? Could you even call your spouse and would she give compelling testimony? Would your kids give compelling testimony? What document might you show and present as exhibits that would confirm this claim that you are in Christ? Does your conduct either convict you? Does it exonerate you? Or does it expose you as an imposter? Our text this morning reads like a courtroom drama, you see. Jesus has been accused of claiming a unity with the Father, and this is by his own admission. I am working and the Father is working. I'm doing the same work that he is doing. This is his, his opening argument. This is how he starts to respond to the Jews. He's further accused that his work is evidence that he is not united with the Father, but is a blaspheming lawbreaker. Our passage opens with Jesus' opening argument in defense. So now, let us look again closer at verses 16 through 18. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, here's, here's the accusation. This is what has come at him. They, based on a faulty understanding of the Sabbath, the Jews make some baseless charges against Jesus. They missed that the Sabbath was a gift from God for his people who would need rest from their labors. This understanding of the Sabbath also proves that they long to serve a God who conforms to their own image. They want God to be one who takes a weekly rest as they need one. They want one who complies with their set of rules and guidelines and understandings of the Sabbath. Their God must follow their understanding. I'm going to develop this in just a little bit, but I want that to... To, to sink in. They, they long to serve this God who, who would conform to their image of Him, that which he, they, they prescribe He must adhere to in their minds and in their hearts. See, the Sabbath was a gift that made them mindful of a weekly rhythm that, that their lives uh, would reflect that they had a dependence weekly upon God, that upon all their labors that they did in their regular work, they would need rest, and to remember that this work that they did was all independence of who God is. The gift was a reminder that the righteousness that God requires of his people was his own righteous, that righteousness, that no human could uh, possess in themselves the righteousness that God requires. Uh, 
So charge number one against Jesus is this. Jesus is a lawbreaker. He worked on the Sabbath. Although if you remember from last week, he was not the one who carried the mat. He did no work. He didn't really pick up the bed. He didn't pick up the bed. He just commanded that the man pick up the bed, right? Uh, he told the invalid, take it up and walk. If Jesus indeed broke the law, then guess what it was? It was the work of healing the invalid. So, but for that charge to have any weight to it, that he's breaking the Sabbath, then these Jews must maintain that Jesus' regular work was to be a healer. To say you're guilty of breaking the Sabbath law of working on the Sabbath, and all he did was speak and command that this man be healed, well, the real purpose of the Sabbath is that you take a rest from your regular work. They would have to admit that Jesus' regular work was a healer, if indeed he broke the Sabbath, right? Well, charge number two, two counts of blasphemy. Well, on the first count of blasphemy, Jesus' statement that he, both he and the Father continually work is in their minds to also call the Father a lawbreaker. If he is united with the Father, and they call him a Sabbath breaker, then that would make the Father also a lawbreaker. So this is their first count of blasphemy uh, against Jesus. On the first count, Jesus says uh, that he and Father, they're working. So therefore, it's thought that, that, that this reveals that they have a desire, again, for God to conform to their image, right? That this is a Father who... Uh, must be constructed in a way that, that they feel comfortable with, that, that fits their understanding of the law. God the Father must obey the laws of the Sabbath as we Jews, His people, understand them. That's their statement. God the Father must obey the laws of the Sabbath as we understand them. And think about this. If this is true, that God would have to follow the law of the Sabbath, right? God has always been at rest. He's been at rest since the garden. He's been at rest from the works of creation. He saw it, and it was good, and it was very good. He's been at rest from that. But in Hebrews, it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Could you imagine if God took a break to rest on the Sabbath? Who's upholding the world? Who's upholding the universe by the word of his power, right? God is always at work. God is always at work. Well, on count two of the charge, it's obvious. Count two is obvious that this proclamation that God the Father has begotten him and has, making, has, has begotten Jesus as a son then makes Jesus equal with God. So Jesus' opening argument, argument here in his own defense is really simple. Jesus answers them in verse 17, I am not a lawbreaker as you suppose. God the Father is working always. As the Son of God, I am continually about the Father's business. The Father's business the Son engages in is the redemption of sinners and the proclamation of the glory of the Father. This is His continuous work. I would ask you this morning that if you stand accused of being united in Christ and you self-proclaim that you and He are one, in defense of your self-proclamation, is this your opening argument? Are you about the business that Jesus has commanded you? 
Are you going about your working, your recreating, your raising your families, or even if you're retired, are you in the business of making disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Are you working to observe all that Jesus commands? And are you teaching others to do the same? Is the glory of God your passion? This is clear evidence that you've been united to Christ in His death. You show evidence of this, that you are dying to your self-ambition. United with Christ and His resurrection, His commands have become your work. His mission has become your mission. His passion has become your passion. How would you answer if someone accused you of being united to Jesus? You are a Christian. Now, we're going to look at Jesus beginning His affirmative defense. Verses 19 through 23. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees His Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one and has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father." Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So here is Jesus' affirmative defense. Although what I would affirm, Jesus says, basically this, is that the Father and I are united and inseparable. He also says this, I am not the Father and he is not the Son. We are united in all that we do because I do that which I see the Father do. That which the Father does, he also does it through me. Jesus would say that what the Father does, He does through me. We are working together. We are distinct persons always, but we are never divided. My doing is the result of the Father's love for me and my love for the Father and all that He shows me. I do the work that the Father does in relationship with Him in inseparable love. Him toward me and me toward Him. I am the obedient Son, united with the Father in loving submission. The Father loves the Son, and the evidence of the unity that we have, Jesus would say, is my love and obedience to do the work that He shows me. A greater work is coming, Jesus foretells. The greatest work of loving obedience, Jesus is referring to, is the marvel, is to the marvel of all of us, who would call Him Lord. In short time, Jesus will cast aside equality with God as a reality that He doesn't cling to. According to Philippians 2.6, uh, He will be lovingly obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. Is this your affirmation and your affirmative defense of your union with Christ? I do that which the Father lovingly shows me in His Word and convinces me in the Spirit. Because the Father lovingly instructs me from His Word, because He disciplines in me in love, I am a God-loving, obedient son. Are we a God-loving, obedient son or daughter, not out of obligation, but in loving dependence upon the Father, according to His Word, empowered by the Spirit, united to the Father in Jesus Christ? Jesus would say, I do nothing pleasing uh, to God of my own accord, I do what is revealed to me in His Word and according uh, to the obedience of His Son. Is that our affirmative defense? Jesus further adds that the Father brings the dead to life according to His will. This is the Father 
does this through the Son according to the will of the Son. Again, Jesus is saying that I am united with the Father in that our will is inseparable. The will of God is my will. That which God wills to be done, I am in obedience with and in line with, and I am willing to do that. That which the Father wills is that which the Son wills. That which the Son wills is the will of the Father, is what he's saying here. That which the Father wills is the will of, of the Son. Can you argue the evidence of your union with Christ is that what He wills, He has now making you or is making you willing to do? That that which the Father wills for your life in Christ Jesus, He is making you willing to obey. Can you echo what Jesus says in the future here in, in chapter 6, verse 38? For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me, saying this in your own words, that in Christ I live not according to my own free will, but according to the will of Him to whom I have been united. Is this your testimony? I was once dead, but by the will of God I've been rescued from my former life. Romans 6 Verses 3 through 7 tells us this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Is this your testimony this morning, that you died with Christ to your self-righteous, self-centered life? Is it your testimony that you have been raised with Christ and set free from sin? Is it your testimony that you are a willing slave to Jesus Christ no matter how high the earthly cost? Jesus continues his affirmative uh, defense, if we look at 22 and 23, for the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. See, in a loving, obedient relationship with the Father, we are, is our will being in complete congruence with God the Father? Jesus says His will is in complete congruence with God the Father, that God has given Jesus the authority to judge. Jesus says, if I exercise healing on the Sabbath, then guess what? My judgment is just. The Father's will be accomplished as the Son exercises the Father's will in this healing of this invalid. My authority is to be honored as the Father is honored. His judgment is my judgment, Jesus would say. The judgment of the Son is the judgment that the Father would make in this case. That the invalid was healed. He was doing the will and the right judgment of the Father. That is the judgment the Father would make, and God, and God the Father has given it to the Son to make those judgments. This sounds a little like a warning to the Jewish leadership, to me, akin to Psalm 2 that says, Now therefore, O kings, O wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from 
death to life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Hear the Son, he would say. Believe the Father. Hear the Son and believe the Father. Before Jesus makes his closing argument in defense to the Jewish leaders, Jesus delivers God's gospel to them. The Son's message is the Father's message. Whoever God, whoever God has willed to hear the Son and believes the Father has everlasting life. Even you, he says, even you who would oppose me, even you who uphold yourself in self-righteousness, even you, paraphrasing Matthew 23, even you who are like whitewashed tombs, even you who outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness, even you who also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you will hear the voice of the Son of God, you have indeed heard the voice of the Father. Receive the word today and believe my Father who has given His voice to me. This is what Jesus is saying. God the Father has given His voice to me. I am speaking His message of salvation to even you. Even you whitewashed tombs. You, you, those who clean up the cup on the outside but are filthy on the inside. Even you. Even you. I'm saying if you will receive this word and believe my Father who has given His voice to me, you will pass from judgment, from judgment that leads to death, and you will receive, because of God's mercy and grace, life. But heed not the Son's voice today and receive the justice that is due your rebellion. You are rebellious to the voice of God. Jesus is beginning to start to go from being a defendant to being the prosecutor here. Soon we will see him get really pointed in his prosecution, right? Jesus says, further, do not be fooled, my Jew Jewish brothers. A day is coming when the call will be full and it will be final. Today could be the final warning where your death will become full and final unless you hear the Son. As the obedient Son whom the Father loves, my word has the authority to bring life, eternal, or judgment. My words are the Father's words. Do not be fooled. There is a final judgment coming when everyone will hear the voice of the Son and will respond. Some will be resurrected to the recompense of their final judgment. And those who received my word will be resurrected to life eternal. In defense of your claim to be in Christ, can you affirm this morning that God has given you what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5 as the words and the ministry of reconciliation. Is there evidence that you and I are speaking the words of life that have been given to you in the gospel? Jesus here is calling those Jews clearly, isn't he? He's saying, even you, even you wretched self-righteous people, now is the time to receive and believe the word of God. But judge, there's a final judgment coming when your no will be no. Your final no will be no. And that will be the end. 
And that's for us this morning, right? That's for all of us who call ourselves maybe Christian, but we've been faking it. Maybe, maybe some have been imposters. Maybe you know imposters in your life, uh, friends of yours who would uh, affirm that they are indeed Christian, but you go, where is the evidence? I see no proof of that truth, right? Maybe they're imposters. We have to hang on to that, that we don't have tomorrow. We don't have that guarantee. Today could be the day that your no is no, that your final re your rejection is full and final. Could it be today? Could it be tomorrow? Could it be very soon, right? In defense of your claim, are we using the words of life that have been given to you in the gospel? Are you doing the job? Are you proclaiming the reconciling work of Jesus Christ to the one whom you have already been united? Are you fulfilling the ministry? I would say this, are you pleading with your family? Are you pleading with your co-workers, your neighbors to be reconciled unto God? Are you acting as Christ's ambassador here on earth? Or is there no evidence that you are in Christ because either you are sidelined by cowardice or sidelined by apathy? You're either afraid or you don't care. You're either afraid or you just don't care. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter to you, this morning, I can get having some cowardice a little bit, but I can get no reason to be apathetic. I can get no reason for apathy. If you are apathetic about the souls of your neighbors and your family members and those across the street and those across town, if, if, if you are apathetic about their soul and their salvation, I want you to ask yourself this morning, this week, Am I truly united to Christ? Am I in union with Him? Is His mission my mission? Is His passion my passion? We need to ask ourselves that often, I think. We need to evaluate. If I'm apathetic, if I just don't care, if I just don't care, I wonder, am I united to Christ at all? We'd have to wonder that question. Is, are we in union with Christ? Or would we say this morning, you know, according to this, uh, maybe I'm an imposter. Maybe I've been playing Christian. Maybe I put on Christian clothes on Sunday. Maybe I have a, a nice attitude around Christian people because they seem to be pretty pleasant to, to hang out with, at least for the hour and a half we gather, they seem to be pleasant people. Maybe for that hour and a half, I'm playing Christian. Maybe I'm just an imposter because maybe I don't have the passion. If that's you this morning, I don't have the passion for the things Jesus does. That, that my, my aim is not the glory of God. My aim is not winning souls. I'm not on his mission. I'm apathetic to the lost souls in my neighborhood and the lost souls across the street. Maybe I'm an imposter. I think maybe we should ask those questions. Jesus is going to make a closing argument, and then he's going to go to prosecution. He's going again in his closing argument for his defense. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that his testimony that he bears about me is true. 
you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice in his light for a little while, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works of the Father have been given, that he has given to me accomplished, are the very works that I am doing. They bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me, he himself has borne witness about me. So before he makes his closing argument, Jesus here calls witnesses for the defense. Unlike the Jewish leaders, Jesus' judgment concerning the Sabbath is true. He does nothing that is not in line with the Father who imparted authority to the Son as the right and true judge. Jesus says, I make no judgments without the Father. And he's, in other words, saying, I rightly execute the judgment of God in our inseparable, loving relationship, obediently accomplishing the will of the Father of my own volition without circumventing the will of the Father. Think about this. I accomplish the will of the Father out of my own will without circumventing the will of the Father. That's how united he is with him, with the Father. Inseparable. Distinct, but yet inseparable. Since it is his will that I seek to accomplish because He loves me and I do as the Father does and say, this is my will, Jesus says. This is my will. My will is to do the will of Him who sent me because He loves me and I love Him and I do as I see the Father do and I do this in love of my own will. Can we say that our will is being transformed to be the will of the Father? I know that in our sinful state, right, (laughs) we resist the will of God often. I know for me, just I'm just going to tell you the truth about my own sinful space. There are many times when I get up and say, the will of Jeff be done, right? Um, I say it with my family members sometimes, not, not that overt, right, but just in my behavior. The will of Jeff be done in this house as it ought to be everywhere, right? It ought to be done my way here and now, and everybody else ought to do it the same because, doggone it, I'm right, right? But as we're starting to get transformed in Jesus, we see that the things that we are willing to do are being transformed to to just line up with His will and say, by my will, I'm doing what He's willing, what He's made me willing to do, right? That's that's evidence, I think, of, of us saying boldly, we can say then, I am in union with Christ because what God wills, He's making me willing to do. Because I do it not because I have some obligation to do it. I do it because the Father loves me and sent the Son for me. And I am willing to do it because I love Him. It's, it's, I'm, I'm returning love to Him for what He's done for me. And it's making me willing to do that which the Father wants. I know, I was thinking this morning, just as Joe was telling me about how uh, Sunday mornings, at at some point in his life, he said he had to make a decision that I wasn't going to do something else on Sunday. Had to make a decision that Sunday was a day that I was going to do what God has commanded in His Scriptures for me to do. And then he admitted that sometimes, you know, you can wake up on a Sunday morning and go, gosh, I could go fishing today, or I could do X, Y, Z today. But Joe said, nope, 
God has made me willing to conform to His will and do what He told me to do. Do what He has commanded me to do. You see, that's evidence, brothers and sisters, that we are indeed united in Christ as we have been made willing to do what it is that God wills and to accomplish that. I do nothing without my Father, nor the Father without me, Jesus says. I also testify to you today, not by myself. The Father bears witness of me. The Spirit bears witness of me. We speak not of ourselves, but in unending Trinitarian love, we bear witness about each other. The Father, the Holy Spirit bear witness of, with my spirit that I am indeed the Son of God. I know that the testimony of heaven is true. The Spirit cannot lie. The Father cannot lie. That should somewhat be our testimony as well, shouldn't it? That His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am indeed a son or a daughter of God. That is, that is evidence of our union with Him, of us being united with Him. And you know, every Lord's Day when we gather together here and we celebrate the communion together, the Lord's Supper together, we are declaring that, aren't we? I hope that we're doing that and giving it its worth and saying, I am united with Jesus Christ by His death. And I am united in my life by His resurrection. That the life that I live now is not mine, but by the shed blood of Jesus, He has made me new, and now my will is His will, and I am working with Him. And we're declaring that. And we're declaring that every time we take the cup, are we declaring this, that I am forgiven. I am forgiven. we got to say this to ourselves every, every Lord's Day too when we say, I am forgiven. It's because I needed it so badly. I need, I was so, I am so desperately needing the forgiveness of God. And every time we come to Lord's Day, we, we should reflect on, I had a horrible week. I was rude to this person. I was hateful with this person. I was short. I was whatever it is, right? But when I take this cup, his body was broken and I am forgiven. His blood has been shed and I am been being made new. I am united with Him in His death. I am united with Him in His resurrection. My old life is dead. It died with Him. My new life is in Him. And it's in His blood. That is what we're declaring. Verse 33. You sent John and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in His light. See, the witness of the Father and the Spirit concerning the Son was, was uh, affirmed, Jesus says. The witness was affirmed by one of your own. You willingly rejoiced for a time in the light of John. And this John, this John the Baptist, has burned brighter and hotter than all of you. That's what he's declaring to these guys. Say, so you bore, you, you bore, he bore witness to the truth to you. And you received him for a little a while. And this man's light burned brighter and hotter than any of you. Remember, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am uh, uh, not worthy to untie. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is John the Baptist's testimony. And they received him for a while, he says. You received him. He's a credible witness. He burned hotter and brighter than you. Not that I need testimony from man, Jesus says, but this man's testimony affirms the testimony that the Father has made of me of the Son, and what the Spirit says concerning the Son. But then Jesus says, but even my testimony is greater than John the Baptist, and he confessed that I myself was the source of illuminating truth. Right? John the Baptist says that Jesus was the source of illuminating truth. But you believed him, and you thought there was some light in him. But my testimony is greater, because even his testimony says that Jesus is the source of illuminating truth. He came to bear witness that the Son is the faithful and the true witness. The work you despise, he's saying this to these guys, the work that you despise is the work of the Father. And it alone should bear witness that I am the Son sent from heaven. It alone should bear witness that I am the Son sent from, sent from heaven. So I ask again this morning, if, if you are indeed united to Christ, who would you call as your first witness? Do you rightly begin with Romans 8, 16 and 17? The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also might be glorified with Him. Do you say that I have the testimony of the Holy Spirit within me? And the proof of the internal testimony is that I suffer the loss of all things, all other things, that I may glorify God in my flesh. Is that your testimony? Would you call on the church elders to come and testify that they too bear witness of the work of God in you? Could you call your elders and say, would you affirm that I am united with Christ and you can testify to the work that is going on in my life? Could they testify and be honest? Well, even... Further than that, would you call the witness of your own church members? Could your fellow church members testify to that truth? Would they give a convincing testimony? Well, how about your spouse or your children or your neighbors or your coworkers or the grocery clerk? Could they give testimony that you are indeed in Christ? Jesus, having given then proof of the truth, he closes his argument in defense. And now, in this section, his final push here, he is going to become the prosecutor. He says, His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. Think about this. Here comes the charge. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. 
Here they come. The accusations come further. You do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is a sharp indictment. This is the prosecution. I have spoken to you the voice of the Father, and you are dull of hearing, he would say. If you had the word of God abiding in your heart, you would hear the Son's words, and you would believe the Father who sent him. You search the scriptures for how to live, but you remain dead because you refuse to repent and believe. You guard the Sabbath and regard the scriptures, but you do not love God above love of yourself, love of acclaim from your fellow men. You glory in yourselves, and the glory you receive from other sinful men, you receive that gladly, and you give it gladly. All of your Sabbath keeping is for your glory. This indicates that you do not believe. Because what is higher than the glory of the Father, my Jewish brothers, he would say? What is higher than the glory of the Father, he's saying to them? What is higher than that? You glory in yourself and you glory in receiving glory from sinful men just like yourself. You glory in the works of Moses. Your glory in him actually accuses you. You see, you hope... In your wrongly understood and applied words of even Moses. Moses says in the law of himself and his righteousness, Jesus would say, What I'm about to tell you today. In number 16, verse 28, and Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that this has not been done of my own accord. His own words, the things you put your hope in, his own words accuse you, Jesus would say. Moses claimed to do the works of God, and you did not believe him, and you don't believe me. As though Jesus is saying, Moses claimed to do the works of God, and you didn't believe him. You stand accused by your own law. And I stand also accused you because you have not heard and believed my words. Because I claim to do the work of God. And since you don't believe me, then that means you don't believe the Father. And if you don't believe me, and you don't believe the Father, it means you don't love Him if you don't love me. If you don't receive my words, you don't receive His word. If you don't understand that the Scriptures are all about me, then you don't understand the Scriptures, and you don't believe them anyway. You see, for us, I want to ask us this one more time. You claim union with Christ, but can you defend it? Do you love what Jesus loves? Do you love who Jesus loves? Do you love fishing more than you love the church that Christ died for? I mean, that's a big question. And it doesn't have to be fishing. You can fill in the blank with any other thing. But do you love your free time as much as you love the church that Jesus Christ laid his life down for? Right? Do you love the glory that you get from a job well done more than you love the glory of the Father in whom that work is done anyway? If you are united with Christ, right? Is your claim to love God in union with Christ manifested in obedience? 
See, sometimes we think of obedience as getting favor from God, right? Of if I'm just obedient, He will love me. No, He loves you. And when you obey, you affirm that you are united with Him. When you obey what His Word says, you affirm the truth of your claim, right? So when we hear those numbers of all those people that supposedly uh, are in Christ in our neighborhoods in our, and in our world, I don't see the proof. I don't see the proof of that truth. I would say, can you defend that? Can you defend that? And I think that ought to be true in our church and in churches in general. When a brother or a sister says, I am a Christian, I am in Christ. I so want to say almost every time somebody tells me that, prove it. Prove it. And here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that I want them to, you know, that they have to follow some, you know, strict guideline of something, but they're the proof of the truth of their union with Christ should be clear and compelling, clear and compelling evidence. This is not like legalistic work that I'm talking about here. I'm united in Christ because I want to do what he wants to do. I'm united with Christ because what his word says, I'm being made willing to do it. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that what God wants, I want. I used to want what I wanted in priority, but now God has made me willing to want what he wants. I loved me first, always. There's still that tendency in probably every one of us. Um, nobody has to tell any of us or teach us to be selfish. Have you, you guys have all had kids, most of you. Nobody has to teach them to be selfish. Nobody has to teach them to love themselves over other people. Nobody has to do that, right? But because God's work in us, right? We've been made willing to love him first, to love him over self. That is evidence of our union with Christ. Do we speak the words of life to a world around us? Could the ones closest to us give compelling testimony that we are united in Christ? I would ask us this, are you steeped in the knowledge of the scriptures, but you've never really lived according to them? I have met many brothers and sisters who know the word of God very well. And the nature and character of their person is horrid. They know a lot about the word of God, but their nature and their behavior tells me they don't know him at all. They might can quote you a lot of stuff from the scripture. They don't know God. If they knew him, they would desire his will. They would love like he loves. Again, not perfectly, but that would be the aim of their life. And the trajectory of their life would be, I live to the glory of God because he has made me willing. I live to, the, to love those who God loves because he loves me. Praise God indeed, brother. Praise God. Are you united to Christ or are you an imposter who claims to be? That's the question for us this morning. Let us take a moment of silence and reflect upon God's word. Father God, I do thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for helping us uh, stay focused in this morning upon your word, upon the person of Jesus. I pray this morning that you've been glorified. 
I pray also, Lord, this morning that if there's one who was on the fence and thinking that they might be an imposter, but that this morning you have granted them repentance and faith, uh, I praise you for your work, Lord, a work that only you can do. I pray, Lord, you would give us grace to accomplish your will here on earth. You would give us grace to be obedient sons and daughters that our words, our lives, our actions would just declare boldly that we have been united with Jesus. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.